Hello, welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today we are in episode 17 and we are finishing up our series, Sent. I'm joined here by uh, Paul Hugobar, our lead minister. Yeah, episode 17. I mean, that's, uh, that's yeah. quite a few episodes. I know, yeah, it's a compliment. Cool. We're so, getting there. Uh, I think by what, the end of this season we'll have 23, 24 total episodes. So yeah, that's, uh, something like that. That's great. So uh, excited to be here today after uh, certainly what is a full weekend. I know more more full for uh, for you and for family ministry than it was for uh, for the rest of us. Uh, but uh, but definitely full and, and I think uh, powerful weekend here at, at Grace Chapel. So yes, yeah. Around here at GC this week we had our spring youth retreat here and. Uh, I was with the youth all this weekend. We were in this series actually really connected very nicely yeah, right. with our series Scent. And on Sunday morning, we were able to have a really cool experience of one of our teenagers, Leg Communion, yeah. and uh, just a really cool multi-generational service. Yes. It was awesome. Yes. Yep. And with that in mind, Paul, do you want to just tell us a little bit about this series set? Mm-hmm. Give us that recap one last time for anyone who may have missed it or might just need a refresher because they Absolutely. are forgetful, like myself at times. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> it'll, it'll refresh me too. So yes. Um, so so this whole series really is 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 uh, the landing point was that we are sent, we are commissioned to go into the world, but you can't just start there. And often I think that we have sort of started there. I mean, we just stand up in front of people and we tell folks, here's the expectation, go take the gospel, go take the good news, and you know, you just go do it. Um, but even when we look at the way that Jesus engaged with his disciples, uh, Jesus didn't just start with his bunch and say, all right, go. Mm-hmm. In fact, as he calls his first disciples, and we see the account of this in several of the different gospels, um, you know, for example, in Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 19, uh, when Jesus looks at those fishermen and he calls them for the first time, he doesn't say, hey guys, leave your jobs and now I'm gonna send you immediately. He says, "You know, come follow me and I'm gonna make you. I'll transform you yeah. by following me. You'll be changed, you'll become fishers of men. And certainly they do. Um, you know, and so for, for Jesus' disciples, for us as well, we have to begin understanding that we are truly uh, you know, chosen and called by Jesus for a very specific purpose, to be his followers, yes, but there's more coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then in the, the second week of both the podcast and the series, we talked about the fact that Jesus spent time. I mean, it was over a roughly three-year period for, for most of his disciples. There, there were some that came later in the journey. Uh, certainly when we think about the 72, we often think about the disciples as just the 12, but they were the inner core. And then there mm-hmm. were kind of these expanding circles of disciples as well that followed Jesus. But Jesus was training and equipping, really starts with teaching. It was teaching and he's training and he was equipping those who were following him for what was to come. And then we had that moment, we talked about this on Easter, where, uh, where Jesus, as he's preparing to go to the cross, is already saying things like, it's finished. I've completed the work you've sent me to do. He's talking to uh, God the Father. And then that moment on the cross, John 19, where Jesus says very, very plainly, it is finished. Speaking of <laughs> his work on earth in the body is finished. But where we landed last week was by saying, you know, that as Jesus' work in his physical body came to an end, the work of the church was just beginning, or mm-hmm. his, his uh, you know, his spiritual body in the sense the church was just beginning. And so that's what then really led us to this week to talk about the fact that we've been sent and commissioned. But if you don't have all that, uh, you know, that other stuff in the progression before the commissioned piece, if you just pe- tell people go and they don't know that they are being trained and equipped. Yeah. If you yeah. just tell people go and they don't know that they've also been chosen and called, you know, there's significance yeah. in each one of those movements and moments. If you just tell people to go and they don't realize that Jesus did what he came to do in his physical body and now it's our turn, mm-hmm. there's this kind of disconnect between, okay, so I will just, just go, that's what I'm supposed to do, unless people fill in the gaps for themselves, but not everybody does that. And so mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to take a series to really move through that progression of what it looked like to be called and chosen, what it looked like it to be, you know, to be uh, what it looked like to be taught and to be trained and equipped, even in our day as we do that. Um, what it looks like to realize that yes, our mission began with the the completion of Jesus' mission in His physical body. Our mission is the church, and it continues uh, through this day, which is why we're sent and then commissioned to go into the world to make disciples, to baptize, to teach them to obey everything, and then to know that His presence, Jesus' presence, is with us always even till the very end of the age. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a, a recap of, of the series. 
touching a little bit into what we talked about uh, this week. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So yeah, let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Okay. This week, where did where did we go with this this week? Following from your statement last week, that Jesus' work through his spiritual body through the church was really just beginning. Where where we go? Yeah. So it, it's really uh, it's really interesting that uh, you know after Jesus after Jesus died. So he, you know obviously we celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated Easter last week. Jesus is raised from the dead and then has these moments where he comes and re-engages with his disciples. Uh, certainly 1 Corinthians 15, as we talked about last week, tells us a little bit about that, how he uh, engaged with different specific disciples appearing to them. The Apostle Paul even says you know, later, now that's outside of those 40 days, that he appeared to him as well, but he appeared to 500 in the time that he was, you know, that he was kind of walking on earth in his resurrected body. And, uh, you know, there seem to be a number of different exchanges that happen in that transition time as Jesus is now preparing his disciples for what is to come. And so really it's got kind of that, that in-between period that we focused on last week you know, or this, 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 uh, this past Sunday. So I want you to think about that just real quickly. So, so here's Jesus. He is, uh, he's, you know, he's been nailed to the cross. He has you know, breathed his last. He's now been on the Sunday. He's been raised back to life. And then he has this period of time where he's engaging with his disciples saying, this is coming. We see different accounts of how he engages with them. We see you know, him walking on the road to Emmaus with, with a couple of guys. We see mm-hmm. him showing up behind closed doors in the Gospel of John. We see him in, in you know, the beginning of the book of Acts having this conversation. We see the, the direction not to leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And all this is very mission-centered language. In many of these accounts, we see this very mission-centered language. Mm-hmm. And we see one of those, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, uh, that we actually call the Great Commission. But that's not the only one of these kind of sending or mission-centered uh, expressions, uh, engagements that Jesus has with his disciples in this 40 days where he's working, walking with them. You know, we mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. as well, we see uh, Jesus appearing to Peter and, you know, I mean, very similar kind of engagement that he has with Peter the first time. Hey, you're, you're having trouble fishing? Let's, let's have a conversation about this one. Of course, you know, here then Jesus is engaging with Peter after, you know, now they're having this breakfast of fish. Um, and, you know, he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? You know, I mean, so all these things re-engaging Peter with the mission because, again, it, it's, it's coming. It's, it's about to be here. So, yeah. the, again, the work of the church was just about to begin. We know that was on Pentecost, that the work of the church began with the coming of the Holy Spirit. We've mm-hmm. talked about that mm-hmm. before on this podcast, but that's what that 40 days was about, is Jesus is walking here on earth with those disciples. He's engaging with them and telling them, or preparing them, doing the last bit of work to say, all right, it, it's just about to be your turn, tag your it, in a yeah. sense. And, yeah. so, uh, and so then it ends with you know yesterday's message with what we talked about, the Great Commission, that really true, that, that sending moment mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. okay, everything that you've done has led up to this point or everything yeah. that we've done together has led up to this point because again as jesus work in his physical body came to an end the work of the church had just begun and, and again it's almost like jesus is saying to those guys all right tag you're it it's your turn that's great so let's talk about that let's talk about the great commission yeah and i think it was interesting in your message you talked about actually a couple different commissioning yes. moments yes there and there's the the great commission that we that we think to primarily mm-hmm. the matthew 28 moment but then mm-hmm. you also talked about a moment from john and a moment from acts where yes. jesus is commissioning his disciples so can we let's talk about those different scriptures those different commissioning moments and maybe the significance of those accounts yeah, so there's the, the first that we talked about was the, the Matthew account. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a really powerful moment where Jesus again, you know, I mean, think about Jesus choosing his disciples on a mountainside. Uh, it's on another mountain that Jesus now meets his disciples and mm-hmm. gives them this great commission, what we call the great commission. Um, here they come together and Jesus makes this first very uh, declaratory statement and saying, all authority in heaven on earth, heaven and on earth has been given to me. So whatever comes next is gonna be big, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if I told you, hey Ben, I'm the boss of the world. Now, obviously you'd begin by laughing at me. For Jesus to say <laughs> that, that, you know, there was, that was totally reasonable. I'm, I'm the boss of everything, heaven and on earth. 
then you're waiting, well, okay, well then what are your instructions? What are the next words? And so his next words to them are what we call the Great Commission. And so it's a therefore go, make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded with you. And then the promise out of that, surely I'm with you always to the very mm -hmm. end of the age. And so um, in this moment, in this very moment, Jesus commissions his disciples to become disciple makers. Mm -hmm. And really even, casts a vision that goes farther into the future than that, which, you know, some say that what Jesus was actually doing was casting a vision or commissioning his disciples to go make disciple makers, mm -hmm. because he's promising this, uh, you know, in this moment that I will be with you until the very end of the age, which is why some have, and I said this yesterday, almost tongue in cheek to some degree, you know, said that this is truly the great commission because it goes until Jesus returns. It continues. You know, if it had just been for that one generation, it would have been the pretty good commission. You know, the, the pretty darn awesome commission, but not quite the great commission. Yeah. It's the great commission yeah. because it's ongoing. Yeah. Until Jesus returns, we as the church, as disciples of Jesus, continue to be commissioned to be disciple makers mm -hmm. and to be makers of disciple makers as mm -hmm. well. And so so Jesus issues this great commission. It's a, it's a moment that would have been uh, truly, I think, um, maybe not transformative in the sense that we often talk about transformation, but it would have been a pivotal moment for, for these guys. And yeah. I, you know, yesterday, yeah. the way that I tried to talk about it is to say, um, you know, think about moments in life that are truly milestone moments for, mm -hmm. for people. You know, I mean, you think about graduation, and I was having this conversation with my wife the other day that, you know, uh, I'm starting to wonder about graduations when we have preschool graduation, follow that up by kindergarten graduation, follow that up by elementary graduation, then we're going to have graduation from middle school, and then we're going to have graduation from high school. I mean, it's like we're graduating all the time. At some point in time, graduation kind of loses its meaning if you graduate, you know, every couple of years. But, you know, maybe you are graduating every couple of years, I suppose. But marking a milestone, there, there's significance to these milestone events mm -hmm. when you know what just happened is never going to happen again just like this, mm -hmm. right? And so you think about especially graduation from college or a master's program mm -hmm. and the lengths to which colleges will go to bring in these sometimes famous personalities. You know, I can remember at uh, you know, one of our, our graduations, I think it was the year so I graduated twice with two degrees. It was the year that I graduated and decided not to walk, which would have been 2001. The governor of the state of West Virginia actually came and spoke, and I went to you know, a college in West Virginia, mm -hmm. came and spoke at our graduation. You know, it was a big mm -hmm. deal. So here's mm -hmm. the governor of the state coming and speaking to the graduation. You know, most graduation, uh, you know, the conversations that happen in that commencement moment uh, are centered on some conversation along these lines you've been preparing for the last four, or in my case, five years of your life, and in some, you know, maybe even six or seven, um, and, uh, you know, grace be with you kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the reality is that, uh, that this moment, whatever you've been doing to prepare, you're about to take this turn, and all the work of preparation now becomes reality and execution. I mean, you've got to put this into play. So you've, you've spent years investing in a, a degree to become a nurse or you've spent years investing in a degree to become an accountant, or in our case, you know, to work in ministry, now the rubber meets the road and it's time to do the work that you've been preparing for. Yeah. And that you've been prepared for yeah. as well. And so, you know, I think um, this moment right here of commissioning was for these disciples. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the best, commencement speaker ever, right, Jesus, I mean, coming and standing before these guys and saying, all of the stuff we've been working on the last several years, this is where it gets real right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's your turn. Tag your it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talked also about uh, the John 20 account where um, just as Jesus had prayed, and we looked at this last week in the podcast in John 17, as he had prayed to God the Father, as you'd sent me, as you have sent me, so I'm sending them, now in John 20, as he appears to his disciples, as they are in this room together with the doors locked, Jesus appears to his disciples, reveals himself, the resurrected Christ. And right after, you know, the first peace be with you's, you know, I think he says peace be with you two times, probably because they were, uh, 
you know, they were losing their minds. Some of them yeah, were probably yeah. scared to death and yep. some of them were overjoyed, the text says. And so they're all losing their mind on some level or another. So Jesus says, peace be with you. No, seriously, boys, calm down. And then the next thing he says is, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I mean, that, that's incredible. That, you know, cuts to the chase after he says, calm down. Yeah. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And so, you know, another moment, I think, awesome. you know, there's, there's a Luke 24 moment, then there's also the Acts moment. These are written by the same author, by Luke. The Acts uh, 1, 6 through 7 moment, uh, where he, he says to his disciples very plainly, as they ask, hey, is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, hey, listen, some things are for you guys to worry about, and some things are for you not to worry about. This one, this first part, is not for you to worry about. Whether I'm about to restore the kingdom, here's what I do want you to worry about. I'm giving you a mission. And to, to, to give you the ability to live out that mission, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. So this is what he says. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Relax, don't worry about that. That's not, that's not your deal. That's my Father's deal. But then he follows it up to say, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So here is what I want you to worry about. Once the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Yeah. You know, so there's these multiple moments of commissioning, of sending, of casting a vision for what they're about to go and do because of what he's already done with them. And so they just kind of, it keeps expanding in, in, in these waves, you know, I mean, you know, the significance of I'm going to send you. Okay, now I'm telling you where I'm going to send you. Okay, you're commissioned. The Holy Spirit is going with you. I'm yeah. never going to leave you. Just really, really powerful stuff. So the significance of these accounts, um, you know, really, because that was just your question. It's, it's, yeah. it, these were milestone, you know, truly milestone moments. What's happening right now is never going to happen again. And it is the launch pad mm -hmm. for what's going to happen from here on out. I love that. And I think the graduation commencement is a good a good analogy to put there. It's, I find that helpful. And I, I just think just it just seems significant the amount of times yes. that is told. It's not just one, which I think we often think to the Matthew 28, maybe think of that as just the one, but Luke has a similar yeah. account. I mean, even Mark in his own way has a way of kind of leaving the book that yes. is is provocative as yes. to what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with it? Um, right. And I, I think it's quite significant. Yep. But it does it does lead to the question of what is Jesus commissioning his disciples to do? Like yeah. what exactly is he commissioning them to do? And he says to make disciples, but what, what does that look like? What does that actually mean? Maybe what did that look like in their lives? And yes. does that extend to us? What does that look like for us? Yeah, so I think it's a lot first, of questions there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll try to maybe take them in, in order. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, first, I think it's extremely telling uh, that Jesus uses the language, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Mm. That's the John 20, John 17. Uh, talked about last week that, that it, it, you know, you actually see some translations that will, will render the original Greek into English saying, in the same way. Mm -hmm. that the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So could you say with the same mission? So is the sending the same? Is what they're being sent to do the same? And I think in many ways, the answer is yes to both of those. Mm -hmm. So I think Jesus mm -hmm. gives a clue about what he's calling them to do. Now, he, he, um, he isn't saying you go and be me, but he is saying you go and be like me. Yeah. You know, and I think there's sometimes some confusion in that, you know, None of us are Jesus, but mm -hmm. every one of us as, as a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, mm -hmm. are called to mm -hmm. be like Jesus in what we go and do, in the way we live, in the way we relate to people, in the way we love people, in the way we care for people, in the way we speak openly and boldly at times to people. Uh, all of that, that that is helping to shape, hopefully, the, the course of the lives of others around us in a good news-centered way, in a gospel-centered way. And that is what Jesus came to do is to say, look, there's a whole different way of living life that reflects a knowledge of what life is really all about. Yeah. That reflects the knowledge yeah. of the Creator, that reflects an understanding of how much you're loved by God. And 
now post-cross especially, um, you know, Jesus would have said that reflects the knowledge of what I've just done for you and what that's freed you from and what it's freed you to. I mean, all those things, you know, and so, you know, I think uh, second question, what, what did following his commission look like in their lives? Man, it was, it was a Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired life, um, a Holy Spirit-led and guided life for, for all of these guys that was radically different from what their lives looked like before. Yeah. Just back to those guys that were fishing in Matthew 4, right? I mean, you had, you know, uh, a, few, a few brothers that are fishing there together, and Peter, one of those, uh, Andrew, one of those as well. You got those guys there together fishing, and that's what they did. They were fishers of fish. Mm-hmm. And after the commission, they truly do become fishers of men. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see the way that Peter engaged. Uh, we don't know as much about Andrew, certainly, um, but we know that he was continued to be influential in the church for a time. Peter was extremely influential in the church. Uh, Peter was extremely influential in the movement of the gospel. We think about the Apostle Paul as well, and now his conversion not until Acts chapter 9. So a, a fair deal after these first disciples, certainly, but a radically transformed life in, uh, you know, from someone who was persecuting the church now becomes one who is one of the cornerstones of the church and is building the church up where before he was tearing the church down. And so that's what it looked like for a lot of those guys. Now, that's not to mention the fact that they did this in the face of incredible hardship and said yes to things that they had no reason to say yes, say yes to um, unless what they were seeing yes to, saying yes to was a whole new reality that they had come to know and believe, right? I mean, um, you know, we think about that sometimes in the sense of, you know, uh, an apologetic defense of the faith to say, look at what these guys were willing to do for what they truly believed or what they had, in the words of Apostle Paul, we've seen, John says that as well, we have seen his glory, right? Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so these guys who had seen the glory of Jesus, who experienced Jesus, were willing to take their lives and turn them radically upside down, um, were willing to put themselves in places where they were going to be persecuted, where many of them, their lives ended in, um, in some sort of executionary death yeah. because what they had seen and witnessed yeah. in Jesus was so radically transformative. And so, <clears throat> you know, it was for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus that their lives were continually at risk. I mean, that, that's a big deal, especially um, you know, when you look at um, kind of where, where I landed, the, the phrase that I, or the sentence that I landed the message with, the challenge was this, that there's not a place where you go where you aren't called to be a witness to the truth and goodness of God as seen in the life of Jesus Christ. Well, that is what these guys were doing everywhere they went. I mean, everywhere they went. Yeah. You know, and the disciples that they made were doing the same thing, again, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. spite of the challenges they faced, mm-hmm. because of the love they had for others, because of the love they had, because of the love they'd witnessed in Jesus Christ for others, because they understood both the great commandments and the great commission so well. So it radically transformed their lives. I mean, their lives became mission-centered. So even Paul, who you know now takes on the trade of being a tent maker was by, by far first a missionary for God and then viewed tent making as just the thing he did to support himself while being on mission for God. Mm-hmm. You know, so you see the priority that the gospel message took in their, you know, took in their lives and, and the way that it shaped, it shaped their identity before anything else shaped their identity from that day yeah. forward. So I think, you know, what does it look like for yeah. us? Well, again, back to that statement, to, to realize, you know, I think that there is not a place where, where we are and where we go, that we aren't called to be witnesses, just as the first disciples were, to the truth and goodness of God as seen in the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that's the call in our lives as well. In spite of the challenges, we will face, just like the early disciples faced challenges. Now, we're fortunate in, in, in the fact that we, um, you know, the, that our lives aren't on the line, but you better believe 
pieces of our lives will be on the line. Mm -hmm. Things that mm -hmm. exist within our lives could be on the line. Mm -hmm. Friendships and relationships could be on the line. Maybe not quite the same way it was for them, but that doesn't mean that we don't experience challenges. And so certainly, again, I think for us, just as it was for them, I said just a minute ago that, um, that the gospel shaped the identity of the disciples in such a way that that came first. They were first disciples of Jesus, and then everything else came next. I think for us, that's, that's the challenge and call as well. No matter what you do, you are first a disciple of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think maybe that's, that's the impact that's it had good. on them, it also has on us as well. Yeah. Well, and in the message, you talked about four specific areas of our mm -hmm. lives where we might be sent. Um, so would you share what those areas are and kind of why you thought each of those were really important and significant for us? Yeah, so we talked, uh, talked about kind of four spheres of influence that, that most of us are already engaged with on some level. Now, you might say it's three because, you know, you could, you could say that at work for those of us who are adults and are living our lives, you know, working so that mm -hmm. we can survive in a sense, um, you know, working so that we have finances to, to meet the, the daily needs. Um, and then, you know, then school for students, you might say, well, those are kind of, you know, side A and side B of a similar sphere of engagement. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's probably truth in that, but we can talk about those kind of, you know, separately as we go. Then there's also the, the sphere of the home, which I think is a, is a place where, um, boy, as, as parents and then grandparents later in life or guardians, you know, if there are guardians, custodial guardians at this point, we all have an incredible opportunity to influence those in our care that we've been entrusted with. And then the fourth sphere is kind of in our neighborhood where we where we live. Now, again, I know there could be more. I had somebody actually say, well, what about the places where we, uh, you know, we have hobbies and the friends that we have and that we could put that in kind of the neighbor sphere mm -hmm. as well to say, mm -hmm. these are people that you come in contact with that, that you have the ability to influence as you go. And so, uh, so those four spheres at work, at school, at home, and then, then in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about each of those okay. at work. Why, why do you see that as an important sphere of our lives where we're sent What's that look like to be sent at work? Yeah. So, man, I'll tell you what. So I have worked in, um, I, I don't know, I guess what people would call like the secular world or whatever, however you want to, <laughs> you know, however you want to frame that. That's probably the easiest way to say it, to get the point across. You know, it is a, it is a non uh, vocational ministry job yes. in a sense, you know, so, so out in, out in the world with people who aren't following Jesus on a regular basis. So I've spent time there. I worked uh, in the counseling field for, for a while and um, you know that's that's not in the so distant memory so I remember what it's like to work with people mm -hmm. that don't know Jesus on, on a frequent basis um, I also remember on several occasions the temptation to compromise and make a, a decision that would have been lacking in integrity because everybody else was doing it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, even in the counseling field cutting corners mm -hmm. on paperwork um, you know uh, using connections that um, that were friendly connections to maybe bump my client for the, further uh, forward in the process as you know in kind of circumventing the normal pipeline for how things progressed because I had uh, a relationship with a certain psychologist or psychiatrist as a counselor uh, and so I could kind of you know maybe use that influence to get a client uh, you know an earlier appointment or something like that and and people did things like that all the time you know the reality was I mean I can think about that last example I, I knew people did that um, and you know I knew people would even kind of skirt the system and say well I've got a favorite doctor and so I'm going to try to get all my clients to this particular doctor and I, I know the way that that used to frustrate uh, it, you know so if if one counselor did that now the reality is almost every counselor did something along those lines or cut the corners on paperwork too it would lead to somebody else being frustrated down the line. And mm -hmm. even if you did that yourself, you'd be frustrated that someone else did it because you, you know, in that moment you'd feel like, well, that, that didn't feel like it, it was a decision that had a whole mm -hmm. lot of integrity to it. Um, but then you turn around and do it yourself. Well, I mean, I had decisions to make uh, all the time. Was I gonna cut the corners on paperwork? You know, I can remember um, without getting into too much detail, um, a scenario in which I was running a group with another counselor and from that counselor, there was some pressure 
to cut some corners um, because that's the way that others were doing it, but mm -hmm. it wasn't the right way to do it. And you know, I was unwilling to compromise and said, even you know, look, I'll I'll stay after and I'll finish the paperwork. You don't worry about it. If this is a, if this is a big deal, you go ahead. Uh, you know, I think we have these environments or these opportunities, environments where we work to truly to, to go and be the people of God, and it is it is mm -hmm. so important. You know, so I'm just giving a couple little examples yeah. uh, of yeah. how that, that how that goes. You know, I had I had a guy tell me um, recently, not not somebody here who's a member at uh, the church where we are, but somebody who's a Christian at another church in town uh, who works in sales, who is who is often approached by by management. Um, in a way that would have him twist the numbers just a little bit so mm -hmm. that sales for one month would look particularly good. Mm -hmm. You know, so let's hold over a few sales from the last month and let's kind of, let's date them with a little bit later date. Or if you know a sale is coming up very early in the next month, let's find a way to date that one just a little bit earlier and so we can really get big numbers for this month for whatever reason. And uh, he said that that was, that was a constant temptation for him and a constant struggle because it was difficult for him to say to management, I, I just don't feel good about that. Mm -hmm. I know everybody else is doing that, but it just doesn't seem ethical to me, you know? And so I think those can be really difficult things that we have to deal with in, in the work sphere. But I tell you what, I, I really do believe that even though it seems like sometimes everybody is sacrificing integrity at some place or another, Somewhere along the lines, if you're the person who, for the sake of God, does not sacrifice your integrity, there will be a moment when people come to you and, and look to you and, and know that you're a person that can be trusted. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'll happen because we're looking for people of integrity everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, even in politics, I think, you know, we're pulling our hair out the last several years because we feel like we can't find people of integrity, yeah. right? So there's yeah. this struggle where, where are the people of integrity? Why can't we find someone, what, it's true in small levels, it's true at the macro level, it's true at the micro level as well. So you be that person of integrity for the sake of the kingdom of God. I mean, go to Colossians 3 and you'll, you'll read up on that. In the end, you're working for God anyway. So mm -hmm. don't worry about trying to work for a paycheck and work for men, you work for God and, and work as if you are working for the Lord in everything you do. And, and know that that will, will change and shift the dynamic. Now, I think we should also be looking for opportunities to share out of that yeah. with yeah. others. And so, you know, why do you do this? Be honest about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's why. Mm -hmm. Here's why I'm not willing to do that because, man, I, I believe in God and way before I'm worried about numbers for this month, I'm worried about what God thinks about me. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried about how I'm honoring God and the way that my actions reflect on, uh, on that relationship. And so hopefully that will earn opportunities to share and actually take that further because I do think people are paying attention. They are wondering, and, and our goal again is, you know, we've talked about this several times, is we think about the growth in discipleship through kind of four stages and one adds and builds upon the next, but it begins with curiosity. So our goal as we try to move people, uh, help move people to a place where they might through our actions um, be led to be open to God is to try to move them to curiosity, to wonder about your actions in light of the God you believe mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. So I think definitely in the work environment, that's, that's very important. Now I will say this, I know that it's, it's tough in some work environments to speak openly about God. You can lose your job for a stance you take. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. um, here's what I can say. Um, our call as Christ followers over everything else is to be faithful to Him and trust that He will take care of it. I mean, it is that I am with you always, yeah. even to the very end, of, very end of the age. Promise. Mm -hmm. We've got mm -hmm. to lean into that. And we've got to believe mm -hmm. it. So, mm -hmm. in, in in the face of tough tough circumstances, so well, that's that's uh, work. We can yeah. <clears throat> go talk about the next one if you want. Yeah, no, no, you talked about school kind of being the flip side of yeah. same coin. I imagine a lot of that could really apply yes. um, of having academic integrity yes. in the way you 
complete your assignments and the way you're Absolutely. Um, acting in the classroom setting, mm-hmm. engaging with teachers, fellow mm-hmm. classmates, also see a level of leveraging those relationships as Absolutely. well, right? Of the way that you can maybe spark a gospel-centered conversation. 100%, 100%. You know, I think, yeah, um, you know, I, I, can, uh, I can remember sitting even in college you know, as a, uh, as a as a college student, um, not yet a Bible major, but being in a Bible class because, you know, we had to take a Bible class every semester, being in this class where uh, we had a professor who would assign us memory verses and, you know, uh, we would come in and, you know, I think it was like maybe every Monday or every Wednesday, whatever it was, we had to write that memory verse out to mm-hmm. begin with. And man, I'll tell you what, I mean, it's wild to think about, you know, at a at a Christian university, um, you know, there was probably about a third of the class that would cheat in some way or another, right? Mm-hmm. With that memory verse, they'd have it laying. I mean, this poor professor didn't pay a whole lot of attention. You know, once he'd say, "All right, go," he'd put his head down. And he's not even looking at us, and so everybody figured out. You know, well, you can have the, you can have a piece of paper on the ground with, you know, that memory verse written on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and even as a even as a young Christian at that point in time, I remember feeling like, man, there's something really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. With that, like, so the book that tells us not to cheat, we're actually going to cheat out of that book. You know, I mean, there's just something that doesn't add up there. You know, uh, but there, but there are you know uh, places all over the place where, yeah, I mean, where whether it be cheating, whether it be uh, joining the crowd as opposed to being you know so being faithful to the crowd as opposed to being faithful to Jesus. Yeah. So everybody's doing this, whatever this happens to be. Um, you know, or, or being faithful to Jesus and being the one that stands out. And I know that's so hard for, for our young people, especially at a young mm-hmm. age. Um, but, I mean, that's where, you know, when Paul writes to Timothy, he, he says, you know, I, I, the way he phrases it makes it about the way that others would look at Timothy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to imagine that that would have done something for Timothy in the way he thought of himself. When Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but you set an example for all the believers even. So not just for unbelievers. You go as a young person, set an example for the believers, and then he Mm -hmm. gives a number of different Mm -hmm. categories in which Timothy was to be that type of example. And so, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so be an example. And another, this is another place where you're influenced by your example is I think is paramount and it's your example that maybe earns you the opportunity to speak with yeah. credibility both at work That's and good. then at school as That's well. Good. So the third one is at home and yeah. you talked about this a little Super bit yesterday I remember you yesterday when uh, in, on, in the message and yeah. you shared how in the home like it's the the parents it's their first responsibility yes. for discipling their children you applied mm-hmm. that to parents grandparents guardians uh, uh, talk a yes. little bit more about that and share what that looks like in the home yeah sense. so that's all i mean that has always been god's vision for how young people would be discipled so mm-hmm. even before the mm-hmm. time of jesus you go back to deuteronomy 6 mm-hmm. and this yep. was this 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 command this casting a vision for parents about how they would disciple their children as they went from place to place This is what you do. Always be talking about these things. Wherever you are, you be talking about my law, my love, my person, who I am. You be instructing your children. So I think, you know, as we get into, you know, the New Testament thinking about uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I think that that same responsibility is on parents to at home be having these conversations, in the car be having the conversations. You know, um, if you got a devotional time before bed or in the morning or whatever it happens to be, don't let anyone else as a parent, you know, even as a grandparent too in that as a garden, don't let anyone else own the responsibility for discipling your children. And this is where, yes, example matters a whole lot. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about this. But here we're also very much called to lead with words, lead with example and words. I think they come together at the same time. You know, so you're speaking, you're teaching. I mean, that's what teaching and, and, and instructing looks like. So you're teaching and you're training and you're equipping within the home the next generation of followers of Jesus as you go every step of the way. Mm-hmm. But while it may be uh, in many, wor- many ways, we may think that it's a teaching through words that does lead primarily in that. Um, what we know from many studies is, you know, uh, Children will identify, I learn more by watching my parents than what my parents ever said. 
And so if the things we're teaching don't match the way we're living, we've, we've got some struggles there. We've got some yeah. trouble. And so, you know, even, even in the home, to be the person that continues to be refined by God through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we look more and more like Jesus, but then to be honest about, you know, I think our mistakes and our struggles too with our children as we go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that they know we're not perfect and we're not pretending to be perfect. Yeah. You know, in any way, shape, or form, but we do want to help lead them and shape them and guide them so that they will be disciples of Jesus as well. And again, I want to say kind of, uh, well, I was going to say as a side note, but it's not really a side note. It's, I mean, it's, it's as important as, as the rest of this conversation about what happens in the home. It's again that we don't think, that we don't as parents allow ourselves to believe ever for a second that it is the church or a youth ministry or a family ministry that is mm. primarily responsible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for shaping the Christ-centered identity of our children. Now, yeah. Amen. I get it. There are, uh, there are children that come out of homes where the parents don't follow Jesus. Yeah. And then we as a church need to do everything we can to help shape and mold those children so that they will follow Jesus mm-hmm. as, as they grow. But children that come out of Christ-following homes, um, you know, we've even talked about kind of this lamentable phenomenon of, of, of like dry cleaner youth ministry, where where parents truly believe, I yeah. drop my kids off to you, uh, you know, for whatever youth event you've got going on, you clean my kids, I pick them up, and they're going to be washed and wonderful, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and and then I I don't really do much of anything mm-hmm. other than. Um, whatever regular parenting looks like. You know. Someone who does a lot in youth ministry, yes. I can say that doesn't work. That doesn't work. <laughs> nope, nope. No, it doesn't work. And in fact, um, there are a number of studies that talk about how many children walk away from faith. Yeah. Um, and in, in a number of those studies, uh, when the question is asked, how central was faith actually within your family? So we're talking about children that walk away from the church. Mm-hmm. They walk away mm-hmm. from the church and often walk away from faith. The only church or the only faith they got was when they came to the church building. You know, mm-hmm. they came to church on a Sunday. Um, so that was the only time they got, they, they were uh, taught matters of faith whatsoever. They were taught about how to follow Jesus. It didn't actually happen in the home at all. And so, um, you know, I, I think we often wonder what can the church do better so that we help uh, you know, maybe narrow the gap some or, or reduce that really sobering statistic of how many children are walking mm-hmm. away from faith once they uh, leave home and graduate. And I, I think it's good. We, we should always in the church, Ben, be asking the question, what can we do better? Um, but boy, as parents, we've got to be asking that same question because yeah a lot of that falls on us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fall on, on the church. It doesn't fall on youth ministries. It falls on parents. And maybe what we can do better within the churches is help parents learn how they can truly be the best disciple makers within yeah. the home that they can be. Yeah. Let's talk briefly about that last, uh, the last category is uh, in your neighborhood. What, is that, what does that look like to be sent in your neighborhood? Why is that important? Yeah, I, I, you know, I talked uh, during the message just a little bit about the fact that you know, we often look at, uh, you know, we say, well, the reason we bought the house we bought is because it's in this school district. It's, you know, it's in this neighborhood. We like the neighborhood. You know, the amenities that were even there at the na- in the neighborhood. You know, so we've got all these different reasons. I really like the house, of course, and all that. And we think that that's why we're in the house that we are in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sure, with free will, yes, maybe you chose that house, but now God wants to use you where you are. Yeah. So you're there now for a reason. Yeah. You know, if, if you were there at the beginning for a specific God following or God honoring reason, I don't know, but whatever, however you got there, now you have a purpose and a reason where you are. Mm-hmm. And it is to be, again, that example within your neighborhood, around your neighbors of what it looks like to be, uh, you know, to be light and darkness. Or maybe if you know other Christians, to engage with them. And so, you know, together you can start talking about how can we make our neighborhood a different and better place um, mm-hmm. so that the, the light is truly shining in the darkness wherever we happen to be. But that's the place where you live. That's where your home is. That's where people will get to see, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if we're always bickering and fighting and arguing in the front yard, your neighbors will, and, and we, we had neighbors once who did that, um, your neighbors will know who you are. 
and that will be your reputation. <laughs> but think about on the flip side of this, if you could be known in your neighborhood as, as people who love well, yeah. as a yeah. family who, who's, whose kids even, uh, there's something different about them. Um, if you could be known as the person who, every time there's an opportunity, a, a true opportunity, not, not just necessarily the annoying neighbor who, um, you know, well, Maybe that's not annoying. I don't know. <laughs> you know, got to say praise God after everything, and you know, I mean, praise you know, praise God for everything. There's no doubt about that. Um, but if you could be known as that person who really finds those truly opportune times to speak about God when those yeah. opportunities are there, but you have to earn that right, just like you do at work or just like you do at school, uh, to to be able to speak uh, about Jesus in influential ways. Mm-hmm. But in your neighborhood. If you were to take this idea, and we've got several people at Grace Chapel who've done this, by the way, that I am where I am for a reason. Mm-hmm. There's a purpose to my being here. I'm sent and commissioned by God to be right where I am, to be His witness where I am. I, I tell you, it's, it's changed uh, the way that a number of people approach where they are planted right now. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Man, that's awesome. So just to recap, those four areas we talked mm-hmm. about is at work, at school, at home, in your neighborhood. And I, I think it's fair to include in that, in your neighborhood, I, I mm-hmm. think of that as anyone who, even if it's not physically where you're living, but if it's you know at the gym, as people sure. you come in contact with yep. regularly, it's your place, yeah, place in that you are regularly. area. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So. Let's just, we've got a few minutes before we close here. So let's just talk about what is a practical step that we can take. And maybe that mm-hmm. step is one of those four arenas, um, or maybe it's all of those four arenas in yes. your life that you can see that you are sent to be on mission in those. But what I'd like to really think about is what are some practical ways that we can really start that? Mm-hmm. What are some ways that maybe maybe you can help equip us of just some simple steps that we could take this week that I would imagine most of them would apply to all of those areas. Yes. Certainly there's different ways you would engage based on who the person is or mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And we gotta use wisdom and discernment yes, in that absolutely. situation. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that we might start to do that would apply in any of those arenas mm-hmm. in our life. So <clears throat> what are what are some practical steps that we could take this week to start uh, living on mission? So, so I'm going to give something that, that we shared a number of years ago, actually. Okay. Um, it's, uh, you know, just three, three easy words, three easy steps. Um, and, and it begins with knowing someone well enough, knowing what's going on in their life well enough that uh, if, if you get to the point where you know a need, you could pray about what, what is going on. So knowing someone well enough that uh, you would know what to pray mm-hmm. uh, for them about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, I think at work, you know, you've got a coworker, um, you know, you are working to build a relationship with your coworkers. You know, you're not just fly by night in and out. You're actually getting to know them well enough at school, your classmates at home, or of course your, your children, we should always have this prayer burden for our children, uh, in your neighborhood, knowing your neighborhood, knowing your neighbors well enough that you engage with them on a rel- you know, on a, on a frequent enough basis that you could pray for them in meaningful ways as the opportunities present. But mm-hmm. you have to have conversations to be able to do that. You have to be intentionally building relationship to do that. So it truly begins with the ability to, with the ability to know what to pray about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got pray first, then we'll have care next. Um, you know, we, we have to, um, <clears throat> if you have built a relationship with someone to where you know what to pray about, you'll often find that the next thing that happens is through that time of prayer, you'll actually find that there's a way you can show them you care and help meet the need of whatever it is they happen to be going through. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've got a, you know, let's say a neighbor with a, with a, a child in the hospital, uh, you know them well enough, you know that they're going to be spending time at the hospital back and forth, maybe it's food that you can help them with, or maybe you know, well, they've got two dogs. Well, we can help them and we can watch their dogs while they are in the hospital. We're gonna be praying for your child at this point in time, but we're also gonna take 
some sort of responsibility and stress off your plate so that you can be fully present where you need to be present. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you've got this time where you are now caring for them in a way that is meaningful, connected to the meaningful way that you've been praying mm -hmm, for them as mm -hmm. well. And so you've got pray and then care, and then the last one is share. Um, again, we, we earn the opportunity to share our faith, you know, in a sense. So we earn that credibility. And, and the reality is, again, we know that it's God is the one who opens doors, but He will work in a progression oftentimes with people to open the door to get you to the point that you can actually share. In fact, in, at each one of those steps, there's, the, there's an opening of a door. Yeah. There's the yeah. opening of the door relationally so that you can know that person well enough so that as opportunities mm -hmm. present, you are in prayer for them. Mm -hmm. There's the opening of the door to where an opportunity presents that you can now care for them and go beyond just the time where you've been praying for them. You can actually meet that need and again, earn relational credibility with them. And there's another opening of a door where you get to that place where now, because of the way that you've been praying for them and caring for them, you now have the opportunity to share the good news of mm -hmm, Jesus with mm -hmm. them and perhaps begin a discipling relationship. The trouble is we often wanna start right at share. Yeah. Right? We want to go straight yeah. to that share That's point, good. and we haven't built a relationship with them. In our very skeptical society, and our very skeptical culture, this earning of credibility step-by-step step, as God opens doors, make sure that you're responding to the right door that's open mm -hmm, in front of mm -hmm. you. Instead of thinking open door means share right away, mm -hmm. when sometimes it doesn't. We have to step-by-step step work through, and again, that's a place where we've got to be in touch with the Holy Spirit, we've got to use... Um, I think uh, reasoning skills and, and be uh, you know emotionally intelligent in the way we approach others, but it begins with the the, the opportunity to pray. From there, we move to an opportunity to share or care, and then an opportunity to share. I think that's a great way of moving through a very easy, simple to remember progression mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. engaging people both at work, at school, obviously with our kids as well, at home, and then definitely in the neighborhood too. I love that. That's great. Easy. That's great. I guess some good, simple, simple steps. So we really hope that you'll take this to heart this week Absolutely. and to live on mission. One hundred percent. Spend some time just reflecting, praying. Which of those arenas do you need to really focus on? Of what, what do you need to start with? And maybe it's all of those in your life. But I think those are good. A good three simple steps to get started. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Paul. This series has been really, I think it's been really meaningful. I love how this is just built one week after the next and really built to this uh, really strong call to be commissioned, to yes. be sent out. Yep. Um, yep. I, I hope we'll each feel that. Yeah. Awesome. So next week, we'll be turning a corner into a new series called Under Pressure. Uh, this is a series on First Thessalonians. So uh, maybe if you want to prepare for that, you could go ahead and read that book, just five yeah, chapters. Absolutely. Um, read that, start thinking about that. We'll be diving into that next week, and we do hope you all will join us for that again. Mm -hmm. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out anytime. We'd love to hear from you all. For sure. Well, thank you all for joining, and we'll uh, hear from you again next week. Yeah, see you then.